Good morning, Mike Broomhead. Happy Monday, Jamie. Happy Monday to you. Good weekend. Good weekend. Did you go to the man games in Florida? I did not. I didn't. Oh, I, I, didn't okay. I didn't even watch them online. So I grew, I grew up with the man games in Florida. Why do I want to watch? You know, that was my childhood. That's your, what we did in my childhood. Your goal is to eat a whole plate of pork. <laughs> exactly sausage, right. right? I, okay. I did tell you that one of the things we attended annually, just to give you an idea of my childhood, there is a little town in uh, kind of east of, of town in the center of the state called LaBelle, uh-huh. like Patty LaBelle. Okay. And each year they host the Swamp Cabbage Festival. That smells like it stinks. (laughs) And we would go to the Swamp Cabbage Festival. So I am the Florida man gays, so I don't need to attend. (laughs) They should name an event after me. They should. (laughs) They should. (laughs) The alligator wrestling. Exactly. Yep. Thanks, Jamie. Good morning, everyone. Enough of my childhood. Let's get on with the show. Coming up at 9.05, Congresswoman Debbie Lesko joins us. She's going to talk about the border. We're going to talk about the government shutdown potentially that may happen Friday. We're going to talk about her leaving the Congress and running for an office in the West Valley and staying in public service locally. So all that's coming up at 9.05. And there is a great event happening a commemoration in keeping the memory alive of the USS Arizona as there is going to be a brand new nuclear submarine called the USS Arizona. The captain of that vessel is going to join us at 11.05 this morning, so it should be an interesting conversation that happens today. Coming up uh, in this hour, we're going to talk about the border, but first, we have got to talk about the continued growth in the state of Arizona. Um, Arizona is expected to add 100,000 new jobs by 2025 in construction and healthcare and in other industries. So we are we are going to see great growth in in uh, in Arizona. Uh, we are hearing great growth uh, across the state, or ha- we are having great growth across the state of Arizona. Housing prices continue to go up. There's a couple of stories. Number one is where are people coming to Arizona from? Number one is what you'd expect, California. But surprising to me, Texas. Number three on the list, people are coming here from the state of Texas. So I think a lot of this growth in the tech industry, people are coming our way from all over, even in unexpected places. But also housing prices continue to climb. Paradise Valley is number one on the list, which doesn't surprise anyone. What does surprise me is that we continue to watch what states are doing. The state of California, $72 billion in debt with their budget in the state and continuing to find new ways to tax their citizens, which is causing businesses to leave. There has been a huge increase. Now, there's been a jump nationally year over year and month over month. We are seeing an increase in foreclosures, I think. It's obviously because people are just finally at the end of their rope. When the COVID money began to run out, people couldn't make ends meet and they're losing their homes. That's something that's dangerous to the U.S. economy. There's no doubt about that. But in the state of California, the extreme jump in foreclosures, it's alarming. And when you see people coming to Arizona from California, when people are relocating to Florida and Texas from both uh, California and New York, when you see these things happening, you are looking at the way the governments are run in those in those states. And if you listen to the show, I apologize for my redundancy, but this can't be driven home well enough. And I just I look at this and I think, how in the world do we not see this when you burden the highest earners or you say it's only going to be the highest earners with oppressive taxes? They're going 
going to go somewhere else. And if you allow the highest earners, which are generally the job creators, if you if they, you allow them to keep, which is a ridiculous thing to say, allow them to keep. But if they are keeping more of the money they've earned with their businesses, generally they pass it down to their employees. The employment is better. One of the stories which I found to be fascinating has to do with government jobs. A TikTok video, and I don't, I'm not, a, I don't have TikTok. But federal government jobs go viral on TikTok as a fix for job security worries. In light of recent layoffs that have hit the tech industry and many other industries, people are looking for jobs with less uncertainty. Between January of last year and January of this year, over 278,000 people were impacted by tech layoffs alone. So in this TikTok video, they talk about life hacks and how you can, what you can do. The answer many users say is working for the federal government. Compared to people employed in the private sector, individuals working in government positions log a higher uh, median number of years working, averaging 4.1 years. Number one, uh, many industries were hit with layoffs along with the stability and benefits. Benefits often include flexible work arrangements, a personalized schedule, 13 days each year of sick time, comprehensive health insurance, and retirement plans along with student loan repayments and forgiveness programs. Uh, the major benefits highlighted with government jobs and security in comparison to those who work in the, uh, is job security uh, compared to those in the private sector. One TikToker hit over half a million views with encouraging members of Gen Z to apply for jobs with the federal government and revealed why it's placed where you need to be and offer so many opportunities. So I will say this to you, whether it's a local government or it's the federal government, isn't this a fascinating thing? that our tax dollars are going to take the best and the brightest out of our workforce and are going to employ them in the government and give them benefit packages that most small business owners could never offer their employees. Great insurance packages, 13 sick days, vacations, um, uh, you know, some kind of a retirement plan, many times a pension, which you're never going to be able to achieve. Now, I will tell you in public safety, the idea of, you know, working the way you do and having a pension makes perfect sense for the trade-off. Teachers, the trade-off, you're not making a ton of money while you're working. You're not making executive level pay while you're working. But if you stay in that business, if you stay in that vocation, in that school system, in that state, um, whether it's public safety or teaching, the benefit is the pension, pro, uh, you know, the what you get after your retirement. And I think those are the kind of things that help that people that want job security and in their careers can have them. But isn't it fascinating that you, and I'm a, I was a frustrated small business owner, you don't get to keep all of your profits or most of your profits in the minds of some for the work you put in, for the risk that you take. So if you, uh, and I'm gonna uh, complain a little bit and I don't wanna go too deep in the weeds, but in construction, and I, you know, being in construction myself as a business owner, you bill somebody every month for the work you've done. Generally speaking, you're paid when I was doing it within 30 to 60 days of that happening, usually within 30. But so that's a 60 day period. You did the work for 30 days, you get paid 30 days later. So first of all, that's happening. But at the end of every month, there's something held out called retention, and it's a 10%. So if you bill someone $30,000, you get paid $27,000 because they hold back 10% retention. At the end of that project, 
that retention is held on to as a guarantee that you're going to finish the job, that you're going to do the punch list items, the little things that need to be done when the owner does the walkthrough and the general contractor does the walkthrough so that you're going to go back and finish the job. Then you get your 10% of the money when they get their C of O when the job is signed off. Well, if you're working, that could be half your profit on a job. More than half in many cases. So you're talking about people that are waiting extended periods of time to see any profit on a job whatsoever. And if something goes sideways and it's your fault, you don't make any profit on that job. So you take all the risk. The government comes in and takes a big chunk of it. Many small business owners are not able to provide a benefit package, never mind one that rivals a government job benefit package. And yet we fund all of that through our tax dollars. And then we hear members of the government complain about private industry not taking care of its workers. They take the best and the brightest out of the workforce with these jobs. And, and the, you know, pri- the private sector suffers. So, of course, when they see people in the tech world starting to get laid off, well, what it's government policies many times, government policies that lead to an industry-wide layoff. When you look at what's happened in the energy sector with the policies of this administration and what it's done, when you look at those areas, a lot of times it's government policies that lead to this. Not always. There are people that do a bad job in business. I'm the first one to admit that when I was in business, I was a much better electrician than I was a businessman. But when you start watching people leave the private sector in the city of Phoenix, this prevailing wage thing that they're doing for city jobs and the idea that now you're going to take the best and the brightest out of the private sector in the construction industry, which is one of the industries expected to be a part of this one hundred thousand dollar job boost between now and twenty twenty five. You're going to take them off of the regular jobs of of buildings you would work in or would work on, and it's going to go to the government jobs because they're forcing them to pay more money. And it's easy for them to do that when they're paying them with your tax dollars. It's like adding on. It's like saying, I'm, I'm just going to pay you more. Imagine that a builder, a someone that says, I'm going to build a commercial building. I need a building for my business. And you say to the general contractor, here's what I want you to do. I want you to charge me a lot more money because I want you to make sure you pay your employees much more money than what you're paying them right now. So I want to see in writing that you're going to promise to pay them more money than the value of the job. And I'm going to pay the extra because that's what they're doing. And it's immensely unfair. And I, I just think it's damaging to uh, to what we're doing. I think it's damaging to the uh, economy as a whole. So pay close attention to what you're seeing these entities do. Coming up in a moment, we're going to talk about the border. Why can't Venezuelan migrants be deported? The answer is going to surprise you. We'll get to that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. What you say? Hey, thanks so much for being here. Happy Monday from the Mike Broomhead Show. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more as the show goes on. We talked with Debbie Lesko, Arizona's 8th District uh, Congresswoman, at least for now. She's leaving the Congress. She's not running, but she is running for an office as a county supervisor to represent the West Valley. So we'll talk with her about those things coming up at 9.05. What we need to talk about now is what's happening at the border. Um, and... When you read headlines, I I get a mixed feeling when I start talking about some of these things, almost like I have to constantly give a 
disclaimer. But I think people intellectually understand when you point out crime rising with a group of people, you aren't accusing everybody. I don't accuse everybody or even the majority of people that come to this country of being criminals. I don't do that at all. But we can't also turn our heads. If you look at what happened in Georgia, there was a person who had been in the country illegally, been deported before, comes back. Now he's accused of murdering a jogger in Georgia. And what you're seeing is a complete disconnect from the fact that he's been in the country multiple times illegally, as if somehow they don't want to feed a narrative. But what they are doing is creating a narrative by doing something like that. So we've got to take things for what they are. And there is a situation happening where people are coming to this country multiple times that are in the country illegally. We're going to talk later on about crime. And there are groups of South Americans that come to America. They call it crime tourism. They've been coming to the United States and they go to other countries as well to commit crimes and sell the things that they steal online. Why would we not acknowledge that they are coming from other countries to do that in ours? Well, the answer is because nobody wants to talk about the narrative of what's happening at the border. They just and they don't want to appear as if you're being racist by saying all of these people. Well, no one has ever said all of these people, just like the narrative on the other side is unfair of saying all of the people that are coming here are hungry families that just want a better life for their children. That's a false narrative as well. As a matter of fact, there has been a 500% increase in the in, in the San Diego sector in California at the border of young male Chinese immigrants coming across our border. Why is that not a part of the narrative? Why can't we have a full picture of what's happening at the border and let the American people decide what their opinions are. I mean, that seems to be reasonable, but you've got people that decide we can't do that because it will appear this way. Well, that's not your job. Your job is to give a better picture of what's happening at the border. Venezuelan migrants linked to more crimes in the U.S., but Maduro who is the president of, of of Venezuela, has shut the door on all deportations. So how I talked a little bit about this at the end of last week. How is it that they are allowing, they know their citizens are leaving Venezuela and making their way to the U.S. And when people are being deported back to Venezuela, which is the only thing that this president has done at all as, as kind of a um, deterrent, is send people back. Well, in, in New York City is trying to crack down on violent Venezuelan gangs known that it says is responsible for terrorizing residents with dozens of robberies in the Big Apple. The group has now been blamed for scooter and moped robberies as well as retail theft. And when they're being deported, the government of Venezuela is not accepting and not allowing these deportation flights. And we aren't doing anything about it. This is what infuriates Americans. We should have, I say this often, we should have an immigration system in America that we as Americans can be proud of. The world still wants to come here. We still are the shining city on the hill, but we have got to have an orderly way. And I will tell you, I am, I've said it a lot. We have an immigration system that needs to be revamped, in my opinion. It should be easier for good people to come here. We shouldn't have chain migration. We shouldn't have a visa lottery system. And in my humble opinion, I think one of the ways that we can solve the economic woes with some of the need for employees in this country, especially here in Arizona, because I'm a lot more familiar with it, is a thriving guest worker program. That guest worker program could solve a lot of our border security issues. If 
we didn't have people coming here with false asylum claims, but they had legitimate employment claims, we could do something a lot differently. Whatever reason, both sides of the aisle will not come together and get something done. But when you talk specifically about border security, what do you think this does to the Border Patrol's morale? What do you think it does to CBP's morale? What do you think it does when they are doing their jobs and then the governments of the nations that are coming here are refusing deportation flights and there's nothing being done. What about ending aid? By the way, didn't our government try to do some kind of an oil deal with Venezuela to help them with their economy? Why are we doing business with, why are we trying to encourage and empower and embolden and enrich a country that is doing this to us knowing the immigration problem we have? So that's a valid question from anybody that just is taking a casual look at what's happening at the border. Looking at what the American people want, um, and we'll talk more about this, almost 70% of Americans, almost seven, and how do you get 70% of Americans to agree on anything? Almost 70% of Americans agree that the president's handling of the border has been abysmal. ICE confirms that the Georgia student murder suspect entered the U.S. illegally and was previously arrested in New York City. Um, And then here's the last thing I want to comment on. Um, The Border Patrol has released hundreds of migrants at a bus stop after San Diego runs out of aid money. So they are turning people loose in San Diego. Um, And it's again, it's happened here many times. It happens in other places where the government just notifies the local jurisdiction, whoever it is, whether it's governments or if it's it's other uh, uh, organizations, NGOs, and tells them we've got busloads of people. Hundreds of people are going to be dropped off at this bus stop. They'll be there at three o'clock on Thursday. Be ready for it. Nothing's being done. It's just something we need to keep an eye on. Coming up in a moment, Gatos joins me. It's our big Q poll question of the day. So please stick around. The Gatos Big Q poll question brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Well, happy Monday, Gatos. Happy Monday. How's it going over there so far? Good, good. How was your weekend? It was good. You know, everybody's talking about this Alabama Supreme Court decision. The uh, the embryo decision. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Oh, my gosh. Uh, Here's the cue, Mike. The the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that frozen embryos are children. Do you agree? Yes. No, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting. It really is. I don't know how you determine whether a cluster of cells or these clusters of cells would ever have taken a breath. You can't compare them to a child. The only. So let me ask you a question. So then let me turn it around and ask you if it was you and your wife and you had done this in advance and they were destroyed. Would you feel as if you had lost a child? I don't think so. Okay. How about you? If you went and did it, do you? Do I think you, so. I think if I was that, if I was, if I was that intent on having a child, and this was the way it was going to work for for us for a couple, I think that if that was our only chance at children, and we had had the forethought to do this, and the people entrusted with those embryos, and they were lost, I would right. consider that the loss of a child. 
But you could do it again. I yeah, mean, yes. it's not like you I had. A, it's not like a woman had a miscarriage and had to suffer through something like that. I agree. I mean, this this was never. Yeah. So, like, there are all these questions. Like, you know, what if there's some sort of abnormality, or you've got some, you know, significant genetic thing? Mm-hmm. What happens to the embryos? You you can't just discard them because I mean, do you want to have a child that could have all these severe disabilities? Um, and then the other thing is, like, are people in Alabama, do they have to, like, pay for the embryos until they die now? And I'm talking about the people, not the embryos. Like, they're 95 years old and they're still paying money on the embryos they're never going to use because if you discard them, Alabama says, well, you just killed the kid. And what I, I mean, it's just ridiculous. But what I like about the conversation is it goes back to this, in my opinion, that the argument about abortion has always been about when does life begin? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the argument. It should it be 15 weeks? Should it be at conception? Should it? We are all arguing about the transition of when, like you said, this group of cells becomes a human life. And I think that's the conversation in a nutshell is when is it a life? And so whether we agree or disagree, I like that conversation. Yeah, and I think in Arizona, we'll talk about this on the show at four, how, um, what what did the Arizona courts say? There was a decision in 2005. I'm kind of digging through this right now. So, you know, we know what Alabama believes or yeah. has ruled what is what is Arizona ruling what has Arizona ruled when it comes to IVF embryos uh, are they people we're going to talk about that at four yeah it's a it's a I think this is one of the most compelling questions you've ever had for the poll question I think I, I'm anxious to see the details and I want to hear your take on it so it's a great job all right, Mike. Talk to you tomorrow. All right, man. I'll talk to you tomorrow. That's Gatos. And the big Q poll question today is brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. All right. So here's what we're going to do. Coming up in the nine o'clock hour, starting off at 905, Representative Debbie Lesko joins us. We're going to talk about her time in Congress coming to an end. What's happening in Congress with the border? What's happening with the possibility of a shutdown? And now her run for an office locally. She's running for the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors to fill Clint Hickman's seat in the West Valley. So it should be a very interesting interesting uh, conversation with her next.